host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Kevin Woodley. Kevin, what's going on, man? I'm surprised you called me your good buddy. I left you hanging a little late arriving today. My apologies, but I'm here and I'm ready to riff on goaltending for the next hour or so. Yes, for the next 50 minutes. Uh, don't worry, you will always be my good buddy, no matter what. You are also our director of our Department of Goaltending Excellence here, the PDO cast, so that will never change. Although I do have to say, we have been bumped here to the B studio at the Sportsnet offices because apparently Matt Tompkins is slightly higher on the pecking order than yours truly. And I'm not even offended because, listen, he does have an NHL win in his bag, and and we know this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. So it's okay. I'll let, I'll let I Matt apologize, Dimitri, but yes. Um, <laughs> let's just say that me and Matt may have set a record for the longest feature interview in in-goal radio podcast history, uh, which is why I was a little late getting here, but I wouldn't trade it with all due respect yeah, for the course. world because what a great story. And... You know, it's funny because I'm sure some of the names we're going to get into today, you know, late bloomers. We've talked in the past yep. about, you know, guys like Connor Ingram who were on waivers and now, you know, one of the best save percentages in the NHL over the calendar year 2023. And how does that happen? And, you know, Matt's got a story where the different elements he's picked up along the way, you know, including with a couple of guys that I work with in the summers uh, up in Kelowna, like just, you know, sometimes it just takes a while. Like every situation is different. There are guys like Jacob Markstrom who took a while because it took a while for him to be ready to listen Mm -hmm. to a different message. You know, when you're the quote unquote best goalie in the world, not in the NHL for all those years, you might be a little more resistant to change. And Jacob's a great example. I remember he got here to Vancouver, Roly Melanson and asked him to play a little deeper and started to see some results. But his first response, I remember him admitting this to me at the end of that season, being like, yeah, I, I fully, I get it now. But his first response was, hey, you traded for me. Why are you trying to change me? And so everybody sort of, it's like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear kind of thing. Right. And Matt's a guy who, you know, goes to Sweden, Fralanda, Fardiestad, a couple of organizations with really good goaltending coach. Fardiestad in particular is a guy that we've known for years, a guy who, I think might have been on the short list to get the Canucks development job here if he'd been willing to come over. Um, spend some time there, simplify some things, spend some time with a friend of ours, Lyle Mast, uh, and James Wendland, an osteopath up in Kelowna who hmm. changes the way his body moves and the way his body works. Like just So there are so many different little, there are different ways to sort of figure this position out and everybody comes to it at different times and Matt had so many of those background stories. So yeah, we riffed for an hour and 15 minutes about his path to here and it was fascinating. Well, I'm curious about the relationship. Obviously, you, he wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily classify him as the, the backup for Vasilevsky, right? Because the reason he was the backup to start the season was because Vasilevsky was unavailable after his off-season surgery, right? Um, and he's, I, I think Vasilevsky is kind of like such a unique case because he's such an anomaly in so many ways we've talked about on this show, right? From like a goalie who was actually a first round pick that panned out to one who gets paid such a high percentage of the cap and it makes total sense to his ability to just chew up this high volume of starts and not really break down, although I guess he did have this back surgery. But like for years, it was, everyone would always try to take lessons from like, well, the Lightning keep winning the Cup, so what are they doing right? And then there's no real lesson to ultimately be learned there because it's almost like the exception that actually further reinforces the rule. But I'm very curious about the relationship between the tandems in organizations or like the the goalie pool itself in terms of the interactions and, and, and sort of practice times and I guess like everything that's going on when you're not at the rink for, on game day, right? Like in terms of preparation and everything like that. How do, what's that sort of relationship like for those goalies in terms of like, is there any collaboration or anything? Or is it like you're kind of working with the goalie coach and, and you're sort of working on your own thing and it's not necessarily, you don't, it's not all hands on deck in terms of being involved in whatever your, your goalie stable partner is doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's funny because I think it varies not just from goalie to goalie. There are some guys who, I, I won't name names, but there are some guys in the league or been in the league for a long time that have almost no relationship with their partner. Um, you know, and it's, the irony is every once in a while I'll hear somebody say, oh, they need to get him and he'd be a good mentor. And I just kind of 
you know, because it's like, well, maybe you should find out if he actually says one word to the guy he's playing with, right? right. Like some guys, hey, this is it's pro sports, man. It's cutthroat. It's a competition. Yeah, and yeah. and it's not doesn't mean like some guys just aren't cut out that way. It's not like they're like trying to sabotage the right. other guy, but hey, like they're taking care of their business. They're not here to help you take care of yours. There are guys like that. And there are other guys where it's like just an open collaboration. Um, it's funny, Matt, we didn't get into sort of what the relationship is with him and Johansson and, and Vasilevsky, but he did talk quite glowingly about watching Vasi as he came back from the back surgery and the detail and the work that he put in and, and how in an era where I think, uh, you know, a lot of the quote-unquote Instagram coaches or the YouTube coaches on the goalie side, and this isn't fair because there's some excellent ones, but we, we tend to sort of be um, mesmerized by the fancy drills and, you know, multiple shooters and goalies flying all over the place. I think young kids can be mesmerized mm-hmm. by that. It's the simple basic, you know, the crease movement patterns, the precision of them, dialing in the details so you never miss your spot when you're pushing from here to there. Those are the things that sort of unite the best of the best, whether it's Carey Price years ago telling me, like, yeah, kids hate it. There's no pucks, there's no shots, but this is the foundation of my game or Andre Vasilevsky. So he learned from him, but it actually was last year with Faryastad where he talked about the relationship he had with um, the young goalie there, and now I'm going to, like, an hour later after he told me, like, is it Hildeby or he, I think he's drafted. Anyways, the three of them all work together, right. and they're all bouncing th- off each other. And sometimes, and I have some people that think this happened to Cal Peterson a little bit in L.A., sometimes you can watch a guy on a day-in, day-out basis and pick up tendencies and habits that may not be best suited to your right. game. And there are some people that believe that that happened a little bit with Cal and Jonathan Quick in Los Angeles. So um, I think they're, these relationships are unique on a team-by-team basis. Uh, and goalie coaches have to – that's part of being a good goalie coach. Like you're part-time psychologist. You also have to recognize – that what not just what the mix is between you and each individual goalie, but do you have sort of a group of three that can feed off each other? Or are you, you know, would you be doing a disservice by bringing the other guy into the video session with one guy? Or do, can you all sort of work through those thoughts together and all get better for it? I think it depends a lot on each guy in each situation. And I think that's why, interestingly enough, um, the goalie coach he talked about with Sweden is Maciej Schvoll, um, they just call him Maskin because that's a tough, tough one to say. Uh, but he talks about getting to know the goalies on a personal level. And there are other goalie coaches, former Toronto Maple Leafs goalie coach Steve Briere, now with the Seattle Kraken. I know one of the first things he does is he had a guy who was in human resources help him build out a personality test. Not because he's looking to, like, assess his goaltenders or judge them for the personality, but because he's done the test himself. And he wants to see how they think, how they process criticism, positively, negatively, how they learn. Every, some people are visual learners. Some right. people learn through, through uh, reading. There are different ways to learn. So he wants to see what they are as people and how it relates to his strengths and weaknesses so that he can tailor his approach to the individual person, not just the individual goaltender in terms of how they play, but how they think, how they learn, how they process information. So... Yeah, that was there there's a lot to it. There is no much like the position itself, there is no one right answer to it, but it's fascinating to me all the different approaches we see that man, some of them have success and some of them don't. Well, this is certainly an episode of the PDO guys with Kevin Woodley because uh we just did I don't know how 5 many, minutes how, how many no minutes questions? in showing uh Matt Tompkins and relationships between goalies and their coaches and their For some, partners, but some people, this is them on Red Bull. This is me after an hour and 15-minute no, conversation with this a goalie exactly, that I learned from. This is exactly what I'm looking for, and I think what the listeners are as well. You know, last time I was telling you about this Discord server that we started, and, and we referenced it last time, and it was just blowing up after your most recent performance here on the show where everyone was loving it. The people were clamoring, just begging, fiending for more Kevin Woodley. And so I had to deliver and bring him on because the one simple rule we follow here on the PDO cast is... We give the people what they want, and especially the people in the Discord community who are supporting the show and kind of interacting with us on a daily basis. If they want something, they get it. They want it more Kevin Woodley, so we're having you on. Um, we got a bunch of questions. we got like a variety of topics. I think it was a good grab bag and sampling because we can kind of bounce around and touch on different concepts and maybe use some of these like uh, specific examples to provide like launching pads for us to just kind of talk more um, big picture game theory stuff. So 
Here's a question for you um, from a Blue Jackets fan who asks, last year you mentioned that uh, reclaiming Elvis Merzlikinson's game might be a multi-year project. This year, his goal save above expected has improved, and most notably, uh, it is above expected on the PK where he was dead last last year, according to Money Puck. Have you noticed anything that's changed in his game that suggests he's actually finally on track? Is Columbus Blue Jackets' defensive zone structure change making the environment in front of him more predictable? Um, what are you seeing in terms of Merzlikens? Because I think the past couple of years, it's been a bit of a... Uh, I don't even know how to how to characterize it. Obviously, the potential is there, right? We saw when he first came into the NHL. Tons of talent. Tons of talent, tons of ability, um, and all got off to a great start. Now, last year, much like everything in front of him, it went really south, right? His save percentage dipped completely, went in the tank. Uh, I believe, like, SportLogic out of it, like, minus 27 goals they would probably expect it. And I don't even know, like, when the defensive environment gets as bleak as it was last year in Columbus, it's almost you got to throw that out the window because we're trying to separate it out and, and provide that context and sort of try to, you know... It's the, it's the John you, Gibson conversation, you almost can't, right? Yeah. Like, there's a psychological accumulation where after so many backdoor plays and not trusting your defenseman in front of you and everything... Exactly. It's not, it's not in a vacuum anymore, right? Because... Now, all of a sudden, your save selection is being impacted by what your defenders are doing and vice versa, and it becomes a whole mess. So what do we do with that? Because I think, on the one hand, there's still a lot of alarming team-wide trends. On the other hand, Merzlikens himself has performed quite well, especially compared to last year. Do you see stuff that provides reasons for encouragement? Because while he has, he's still relatively new in terms of NHL terms, I think he's like turning 30 this spring as well, so it's not necessarily like this is a, a young goalie we're speaking about, but at the same time, I think he hasn't been in our lives for that long, so we still sort of treat him as like this young guy with unlimited future potential. Yeah, and I feel like from a homework perspective, I should have I asked you for the list last night, not that, frankly, since I've been up since five anyways, I would have had a ton of time to, to sort of root through it. I mean, the numbers are going to jump off the off the page right away statistically um the environment isn't that much better like they're still you know 28th in the nhl and five on five high danger expected goals against 30th in the d zone a little better off the rush mid-pack but they're giving up a ton of stuff when they're in their own end 22nd on the pk but you're right he's gone from you know significantly negative relative to that environment and as i've said and as you so eloquently stated why like like bad environments can have a cumulative effect on goaltenders. Like we talked about the John Gibson thing. Like I wanted to see him behind a better team, and I think we've seen a little bit of that this year, how good he can still be. Um, so I guess what I'm saying in terms of cumulative effects, if the environment continues to be what it is to this point, how much longer can he keep this up? But so far, he's a full point above expected on save percentage, 1% above expected, and again, tough to do behind that team. Um, you know, where I look at his chart last year and it's just a whole bunch of red, you know, to the point where it's hard to find a category where he was above expected when you break down the different types of chances. Um, he is on most of them now. So, you know, slot line plays, rebounds, breakaways, deflections, um, the easy goals, the clear sighted, like he's been really good there. Only one against on 190 chances. Like that's one of the lowest totals in the league for a starter. So, I have not watched enough video. This is, this is, I do, you know me, Dimitri. I don't like to blow smoke. Yeah. Um, I will confess that my watchings of the Columbus Blue Jackets have been mostly Jet Greaves because we spent some time with him in, in Montreal this summer and got to know him a little bit. And so right. when he started to get some starts, I was, I wanted to see. Um, but you got a new voice there. Yeah. And I think this may be more between the ears. There's a lot going on there, right? Like he lost a friend. And there's a strong relationship with the goalie coach, Manny Legacy, who was there before. Like, there's, there was a lot of dynamics there that would have been really tough. And I'm not blaming anyone in any way, shape, or form, but it just feels like there was a lot of baggage there that would have been really tough to overcome. And I think Elvis is a guy who puts a lot of pressure on himself. I know how much he wants to succeed and how hard he works at it. And I would imagine the pressure he put on even after that happened, right? Like on the mask and I want to win a Vesna for my friend. And like, that's a lot to add, you know, and that's a lot to process. And so, you know, I, I haven't looked at enough film to tell you technically what's changed. If I know Nicholas Backstrom, it's probably a little quieter, his game. 
you know, just on some of the conversations we had with with Backstrom when he took the job as the goalie coach there, what he might look to change. Um, but I feel like this is almost like a homework project for next time I'm on to go figure out the eye test and see how it matches the numbers because the, the, the questioner is right. There are a lot of positives and things headed in the right direction this year compared to last. No, there are certainly. And listen, it's still 19 games worth, so you don't want it to make any... Even if you had watched all 19 games, you don't necessarily want to make any widespread like, all right, this is totally different, right? Like, we're, we're I'm all about small sample hyperbole yeah. here. Yeah, well, that here's the reason why I picked this question though, because I th- I just wanted to I think Columbus illustrates a, a an important point here when evaluating goalies, because if you look at their team profile uh, with the data that I have from Sport Logic, they are dreadful. And, and, and uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily need advanced analytics to point that out. But the reason why I say that is offensively, they're 30th in the league out of 32 teams in offensive zone time with the puck. And then defensively, they're 29th in terms of how much they give up, which is, what, third or fourth last. Yeah. And so there, in terms of that accumulation, the reason why I bring that up in this case is regardless of whatever chances you're giving up and whatnot, like if you never have the puck in the offensive zone and you're constantly just stuck in your own zone, even if you're doing a good job defending, and I don't think they are necessarily. Although, D, D zone, they're like high danger chances against in the D zone, they're 30th. Yeah. Via clear sight. But even if they were, let's say they were doing a really good job and you're like, all right, you're manning up really well. We've changed the defensive zone structure. We're, we're, we're doing a better job of clearing out the slot. Like we're more reliable in the back door. If you're in your own end all night, it's there's going to be breakdowns. There's going to yeah. be miscommunications. Eventually, there's going to be cracks in the armor. And so, in this case, you never have the puck in the offensive zone. You're always stuck in your own your own zone. It also, I imagine, must suck for the goalie because I know, I know we talk about how some goalies prefer to like constantly be tested and be like engaged and and it's it can be tricky if you get into the opposite extreme environment right. where you're not seeing the puck at all and then you have to make a high danger chance save. yeah they don't have to worry about that there but in this case like if the puck is constantly a second away from being shot towards you you're almost like there there must be like a not only a physical toll in terms of like getting up and down constantly and, and having to constantly be engaged physically but also mentally like you're just you're fighting through screens you're constantly having a battle and and that can't be easy either, right? Phys- like physically, and and we've seen, you know, like we've seen, you know, where they where they where, there's a reason they had to call up Jet Greaves, and there's a reason he got into those games, right? Like we've seen that physical toll already. Um, I think it's a mental toll too. Like I don't have the offensive numbers for them quite as bad. Five on five, at least they're twenty fourth and expected high danger chances that they create, expected goals off that. Um, but we talked about, again, like, I, I feel like there's comparatives to Gibson in this one. Like the t- one of the toughest parts about his past few years in Anaheim isn't just the number of chances he sees, but it's the fact that they rarely score for him. So you go into the game with a pressure of knowing that one or two is probably one or two too many to give up. And that can really, really drain on a goalie. But in terms of the up and down of being that in your defensive zone, I'll just throw a number up for you. And I'm, I'm, God, I hope I have this right. It's been a while since I've referenced it. I think it was a study. I think it was Bauer that commissioned the study. But essentially, every time you drop into the butterfly, it is, it's like doing an Olympic clean and jerk at three times your body weight. That's the amount of force applied to the knees and the hips. So you yeah. think about how much work it is. Forget about fighting around screens and traffic. Every time you drop, slam into a post in the butterfly, like the amount of stress on the body is is just massive. And as you mentioned, Elvis is not a young goaltender anymore. So you hope through this process. I've always thought he was a guy that takes care of himself, but that's going to be increasingly important as he gets on this side of 30 to maintain the workload behind a team like this. Mm. Okay, here's a question for you from Dave. Says, And this is directly to Trusty. It starts off with Kevin, dot, dot, dot. Uh, last year you were the first person I heard mention that Jonas Corposalo, speaking of uh, Blue Jackets goalies here, was playing a lot better post-surgery. Are there any goalies this year that have caught your eye that have either maybe had a slow start or are coming off an injury that your eye test or the clear sight analytics numbers are high on that the rest of us haven't necessarily caught up to yet? Now, while I give you a chance to think about this, last time I had you on, we did a victory lap on Connor Ingram, right? And and I actually had uh, Coyotes beat reporter Craig Morgan on after, and then he told me about the collaboration you guys did where you helped him out with a story on Connor Ingram, and we talked about that. I tried, Kevin, to poke and prod on Corey Schwab and see if Craig's been able 
to get through that cloak and dagger operation they have going on. And he said also, he, he was saying that sometimes like if you, if you phrase stuff carefully enough around Corey and like you, you hit on something that he can't disagree with or shut down, he'll like actually give you a little bit, but he'll never offer up any actual actual actionable information on his own. Um, but at the same time, we for, I, I should mention here, we forgot to talk about Charlie Lindgren when we were back patting ourselves, right? Who now up to 10 games this season, 935 save percentage, plus 11 goals save above expected. He's been phenomenal. And, and you know, cap, the Capitals goaltending has been a big reason why, despite all their scoring struggles, they've been at managing to sort of exceed expectations early in the year. So I want to use this opportunity to, to quickly give Charlie Langren a little bit of love because we forgot to do so last time. But are there any goalies that have caught your eye that, and maybe it's not anything even in the performance yet, but it's just someone you're curious about. I guess maybe, and part of this might be a team element as well, but it's like, I guess Demko could classify for this. Now, it isn't necessarily like, I think people are aware based on yeah, the start yeah, of the season. Yeah, yeah. So I, don't I think, think he was the like, quarter pole oh, here's goalie this, of choice. Here's this niche guy that you haven't paid attention to yet. So he doesn't classify from that, but he was one who, along with the team struggles, was battling physically himself last year, right? And clearly is much healthier this year. Is there anyone that that either could be on that track or is someone to watch that maybe, you know, just as fans from home, we're not really privy to to whatever that, like, health situation is that could be explaining whatever performance has been happening? Yeah, I don't know how much of, from a health perspective, but in terms of guys who, and here's the thing, like, Who's flying under the radar? I don't even know what the raw numbers are, right? So I like I right. might be citing a guy that's got like a nine forty, but I don't even look anymore. Yeah, like because I so uh, a couple of names that you know jump out a little bit. My hunch is he's probably got really good raw numbers as well. But like Alex Nedeljkovic, when yeah. he's been in for Pittsburgh, has been really good. Alex Lyon, I think we're seeing him get more starts. Mm-hmm. He's been really good, and he's a guy who's sort of been in this. You know, when you look at the underlying numbers, have been good before. Um, you know, Magnus Helberg actually, but it's only two starts, so it's right, it's right, right. really small. It, yeah. I don't know that people, and this is this is one more of on, on the negative side because they're going to be without him for a while. I don't know that people really appreciated how good Joseph Wall had been mm-hmm. for the Toronto Maple Leafs, not well, just taking over him, the I number one two job times but, ago, but yeah, yeah, like top ten, like top ten adjusted save percentage. So, uh, and behind a team that isn't as stout defensively as they had been in recent years, and their goaltending benefited from it. So, out of all of those names, I'll pull one for you that I like because I'm, you know, they're actually in town here this week. And I'm kind of curious to find out when they get here, sort of, because they have a, a, a an incredible young goalie in the minors who's a big part of their future plans in Spencer Knight. Mm-hmm. That's Anthony Stollers, who has quietly posted, you know, a, an adjusted save percentage that's plus 2.3%, which, you know, frankly is is better than Allmark, Swayman, Binnington, Demko, some of the names that we've talked about as being at the top of the league. And, hey, listen, t- way smaller sample. And it's easier to do in a smaller sample, right? Yeah. It's hard to maintain it. Um, but there's a guy that I liked in Anaheim. Again, nobody could tell, but I think there's a goalie there. Well, I think he had been out, we talked about how he had actually been outperforming in Gibson Anaheim in, I guess, relatively the same environment, right? But nobody sees it because the raw numbers, right? right? So um, adjusted save percentage-wise and a guy who's had different voices over the years and and sort of seems to be putting things together. And I just think he has a really solid foundation to his game when I watch him play and some upside athletically too. So like, you know, there's a guy. I mentioned Lankin in last time, statistically a drop-off there since we last talked. But to be honest with you, still a guy that, you know, if they're not going to resign him in Nashville and UC's obviously who they want to resign long-term, you know, he could pry free as a UFA next summer. So whether it's in the summer or a guy you're targeting – at the trade deadline, should Nashville fall out of it? Like, you know, that, that's another name for sure. But the one that jumps out out of all those, like Nedeljkovic, because he was in the American Hockey League just last year. Yep. And especially if you need a team or if you have a team that could use some help moving pucks. and Scoring goals. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ned can chuck it with the best of them. But you put him in the right contr- – because I think what him and Jari have both done very well this year in Pittsburgh is just make the simple plays. Mm-hmm. As much as, you know, the Mike Smith passes get attention, people forgot that Mike got out of his net and just stopped at a whole bunch too more than other other goalies. And Ned and, and Tristan are both really good at just getting out and setting it up or making a short, quick pass to lead to a transition. So, you know, Nadelkovich and Stolers to me are the two that really jump off. Interestingly enough, 
Ivan Pros Prozvatov has had yeah. good adjusted numbers, but that's a tough team to read right now. Well, let's save the Prozvatov one because I have a question about Georgiev, and we're going to talk about him more after the break. Just on the note of on Stolars, I know I know that the numbers you cited are already adjusted and are accounting for this, but I think people aren't haven't fully caught up to like how impressive this Panthers team has been this season, especially with having. Montour and Ekblad out for the first 15 games or whatever. Sam Bennett was out for a chunk of it. And I know I've spoken about this on show a bunch because we did a full uh, Sasha Barkov episode and kind of highlighting what he's doing defensively. But they're such a unique team because they defend so aggressively and like particularly in their offensive zone, like they like defend downhill, like right before you can get moving, that they just never really they'll give up their chances, especially off the rush, and that can be tricky. But, like, you look and the puck is never in their own zone because they're constantly pursuing it so aggressively that it's always moving in the other direction. So that's going to lead sometimes to counter chances, and that can be tricky. And so credit to both Stolarz and Bobrovsky for actually holding up this season in that regard. But it's such a unique – it's almost like – it's such an extreme – I guess it's it's a bit of a comp to, to what Carolina does in a way. Um, but – I, they're not really talked about that way, right? We, we never really think about the Panthers in that capacity, but that's actually what they've been this year. So it's interesting to hear you you mention Stolars because of that. Um, well, and, and and the rush is it's interesting that you mentioned the rush because you know I got them twenty six in high danger expected goals against off the rush, and 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 you hear me reference high danger a lot because I think those are the ones that matter. Like rush chances don't matter if it's a shot off the wing and the goalie stop ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Well, let's save that for the Devils part of this conversation because I have a few points on that when we get to when we get to the Devils. So twenty six off the rush and their goaltending's holding up the way it is, and it's it's here's here's an interesting one for you. So I would normally I would look at that and I'd be like. Yeah, so if I was a team that was giving up a ton of rush chances and I was really worried about this and I look and I see that Anthony Stollers has these numbers and he's facing these rush chances and now I filter for rush and it's like, yeah, he's been really good against the rush this year on the great A's he does see. And I'm like, hmm, could he pry loose and the Edmonton Oilers and, you know, you start to put those things together. But then you look at the Oilers since the coaching change from 30th in rush chances against to 3rd in rush chances again. So it's so funny because we hear a lot that goaltending is unpredictable. And I think really, obviously there's an element of truth to that. And I don't pretend to be a soothsayer because, you know, I could back paddle I want on Connor Ingram or um, Jonas Corposalo. The reality is it came from the numbers. It's not like I'm seeing some magic you know, formula in how they play. The numbers sort of are what leads you in the direction of sort of what to look for. And so a guy like Stollers, if you had gone out a month ago and gotten him from Florida and said, he's going to fix our thing, uh, everything we do off the rush, and now all of a sudden a month later, you're Edmonton, you've gone from one of the worst teams against the rush to one of the best. It's like your needs change. Environments change constantly on goaltending. So I don't know if so much that goaltending is unpredictable in voodoo as the environments these guys have to play behind is so dynamic and ever-changing. And sometimes you can have a guy behind the same team go from playing to his biggest weakness. And for Skinner, his strength is not the rush. To now a month later, they're playing more in zone, and that's where he's really good. And that, if that can change that much with a coaching move in season, no wonder we have you know wild fluctuations from year to year. We need to start selling T-shirts to say, Defensive environments are voodoo. There we see. There we're gonna we start go. something That's new gonna, here. We're gonna start a dialogue here on the video cast. There's probably too many syllables in that. Yeah, to really catch no, I mean on. it's not. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. We'll figure something out. We'll work. We'll work on it. We'll get a good acronym going. Uh, Kevin, let's take our break here, and then when we come back, we will pick right back up and get into a, a variety of other topics. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back here on the Hockeypedia guest with Kevin Woodley. Um, Kevin, we hinted before we went on the break about a couple topics that I want to get into here with you. So Jay Pierce asks, can you please talk about the curious case of Alexander Georgiev? I've seen some debates recently on if it's the Avs defensive play or his performance that's causing these bumps in the road. Now, obviously, as we record this here um, on a Tuesday afternoon, last night, 
he got pulled after two periods where he gave up five goals against on 22 shots against the Flames. Prosvodov comes in, closes the door. They wind up coming back and winning that game. I think what's alarming to me about your give here is the usage. And I think we've spoken about this on this show in the past, but this is a goalie who, if you go back and look at his player page for years, even before going to the New York Rangers, was essentially capped at like 25 to 35 games played throughout his career. And then all of a sudden he comes to Colorado last year. He has to play the 62 games in the regular season and then another seven or whatever it was in the playoffs in that round one series against the Kraken. And so far this year, he started 22 games out of their 28, which puts him on pace for 64 starts, which in today's game is egregiously high. Um, how much of it do you think you put on that in terms of just fatigue and, and too much usage and maybe them starting off the year, right? They lose Francis, he's not an option anymore. They pick up Rostov. They're kind of starting to feel that out, and I'm sure that if this keeps up, they'll, they'll give him a longer look but they clearly wanted to ride Georgiev because they felt more comfortable with that. How much do you put on that, and how much of it is actually Georgiev just struggling, or is it some sort of team effect? Because you alluded to this before the break, but their defensive numbers are, are all over the place. Depending on which way you, you choose to look at it at, I can paint you a picture where it's like, this team is really, really good defensively, or, okay, they can be exploited in a few ways. So how do you, how do you sort of parse this situation? I mean, they're flirting with the top 10 in every category I have defensively. Third on the penalty kill. Again, when it comes to the most dangerous chances. Well, I have them at 29th in inner slot shots against with only the Blackhawks, the Sharks, and the Islanders worse than them. It's interesting because uh, I think there are a lot of places that we'll call every slot shot a dangerous right. chance, and there are some, if you have time to dust yes. it off, that are actually low danger right. if the goalie can set on it. Now, interestingly enough, I... I'm not, I guess that would make sense for Georgiev. If there's one thing, it's like pure reaction. Like if I was going after him, I'd go after his hands low. Um, just the way he sets up and sort of his setup on shots and stuff. There, Like there's a little bit of, not even a hitch isn't the right word. Um, I think he's a really good goalie. I think he's a number one goalie. And I think that he was a guy I was talking about as an early season Vesna candidate. And so when I see how much they played him and I see all those things that I like start to fall off and I don't see a team falling apart defensively overall. I'm sure there's always going to be moments in games and maybe he's getting more of those moments than Prozvatov is at this point. But like, I don't want to just blame it strictly on workload. I don't want to be, you know, ignorant to other possibilities, but man, like they just played the wheels off him. That was kind of, we yeah. talked about this last time. Like he was on a real heater to start the year and I'm like, are they ever going to give him a night off? And I'd say I'm looking at the same thing in Edmonton. Like, they finally gave Stuart Skinner a night off. I think he'd started six straight. And listen, like, I realize if you're the Oilers, you just need to get back in this race. But at some point, you want to have something left at the end of it. And given how high Georgiev's numbers were last year and that it was the first time in his career, and I thought he was really good for them last year, and he started great this year, just feels to me like they, they didn't go to plan B early or often enough, and maybe there's a little fatigue um, but, you know, haven't talked to him in terms of is there anything bugging him, but, you know, man, the game's never been harder, and he was at a huge, huge minutes and games played pace early. I'm with you. I think he's he's a good goalie, and, and they've done him a bit of a disservice by just leaning on him too hard, even dating back to last year. Um, does Did Clear Sight have him in terms of adjusted numbers as as amongst the elite? Because... I know the public models had him really high. Like he was up near last season. You nearly, mean? yeah, nearly twenty goals sale by expected publicly. And Sport Logic had him at like break even, and and the save percentage was really good, of course. And he won a bunch of games because he played so much behind a good team. But I think the Avs were were quite good defensively last year, just because their skating ability just suffocates you at times. And when they choose to lean on you that way, it can be a nightmare. And that wasn't properly accounted for. So there was a big gap in terms of public and private in that way. Um, what did, what did Clearsight have him at last year? Do you remember? Yeah, I'm just trying to try and try. Oh, I, I, I screwed a filter up. So I was, I had two <laughs> different pages up and I'm like, why am I saying this? And why does it look like that? No, he was, you know, like, so plus 1.3% on your sort of per shot basis. Mm. So 
that grades out at you know 24th in the league, although there's probably a bunch in here that are tiny samples. Yes. So just one, two, three, counting on the radio's grade, four, five. So he was probably top, an above average you know, starter, right? but he not, was, like, he not was fl- bad as He was flirting with the top 10. Yeah. He was flirting okay. with the top 10 in adjusted save percentage last year. And because of the volume he played, he was they got him plus 20. You know, in terms of goals saved above expected for 2022-23, for that ranks seventh behind Hellebuck, Vassy, Sorokin, Gustafsson, Allmark, and Saros. So Saros, who led the league and wasn't a Vezina Trophy finalist, I should add. A um, little bit of a pet peeve there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like I thought he was full value. I watched him in the playoffs. I covered that Seattle series. I thought he was really good there. Yep. So, you know, I, I thought he did everything he could last year to show what I believed coming out of New York, and some of the underlying numbers said too, when he plays enough, he can be a number one goaltender in the NHL. I like the talent there. Yeah, I've watched him practice. I, I've gotten a glimpse, not a ton, I won't pretend to, but a glimpse into the mindset and the way he approaches things. I like all those things. Um, and the question in New York was he needs to play a little more. Well, I think the question after this year is did they play him too much? And so we'll see because what happens for a goaltender once you get to that point like, you can't just shut it down and restart, right? Like, all of those miles are accumulated, and that's yeah. why we see teams being so careful not to overplay guys. And I feel like they just – and if I know – the little bit I know about Georgiev is he's going to be like, um, yes, I want to go back out there. Like, he's going to say, please, sir, give me more, yeah, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. So um, these guys often can't help themselves, and so they need somebody to sort of step in and tell them to take a break. Okay, here's a related question for you then. We have 15 minutes left. I want to get through as many of these as I can while I have you here because they're really good. In today, Oh, sorry. Is today's NHL materially different to what it was a decade ago, or could we have seen even better results out of guys like Luongo, Kiprasov, Brodeur, guys who consistently topped out at 70-plus starts if they had today's modern load management oh that's a really good question this i i'm just bringing this on you now i don't think we need to necessarily flesh this out this could probably be a full show and so well, i want you to think about this i think i just go back to what i just said the game's never been harder for yes, goalies yeah, and goalies are telling me that repeatedly yeah. and so would you have seen better a i don't think you'd see the same statistics regardless because teams are not wasting you're not seeing the low danger shots and actually i should have done the math and double check this but anecdotally goes to tell you, unless you're playing the Carolina Hurricanes, you're not seeing as many low-danger shots on a nightly basis. So you will see less shots overall, but a higher percentage of them are tougher, and you don't get those feelers that make you feel good and pad your stats. So say percentage is down. We keep seeing it drop. Um, I, I, I don't think so because the one thing, and, and Roberto in particular, I remember him telling me this, at, I can't remember at what point during his career, but learning to manage your B games, the nights where you don't have your A game, and learning to sort of have a foundation that allows you to survive in the NHL with a B game was sort of part of his evolution. Mm. Goalie coaches and goalies tell me now, if you don't have your A game in in today's NHL, that's when they hang five or six on you. Like, you just can't get away with a B game anymore. It's so dynamic. There's so much more offense. Teams can't just grind it out and shut it down in front of you. And so I think there were probably a lot of nights where those goaltenders got away with a level that you just can't anymore. And I think that's all part of why we're seeing, you know, a lowering of the games played totals, even amongst the elite, which is why, you know, here's a question for you, is we're we're closing on Marc-Andre Fleury becoming the fourth goaltender to reach the 1,000-game mark. I know how much that meant to Roberto to be the third. Mm. Is Flurry going to be the last? Probably. I, I think guess. so, too. Yeah. I was doing the math on Vassy. There's a few guys like Saros and Hellebuck who get run out there more than anyone else. Right. But they'd have to keep up at this rate, which is higher than anyone else, for another decade into their 40s to do what... And yeah, Flurry's 39, but you look at the years he started 65, 63, 62. Like, even the workhorses are not going to be asked to play that much. The number keeps coming down. It's at 55 now as an ideal, and I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years we're talking about 50. Yeah, I mean, we're going to... We're going to approach... A, I kind of say this tongue-in-cheek, but we're going to... 10 years from now, we're going to be in an in NHL in where the nerds are running the sport, and like myself, and... Uh, and you've got goalies coming in like 17 minutes into the game, MLB style, where they're, they're, they're coming in on, like, on the fly and, and you know, every team's carrying three goalies, so they're getting full nights off and they're being sent to 
whatever next city you're going to be in four days from now and they're not even with the team preparing for whatever game you're playing that night, it's going to be an entirely different world. So, yeah, I would definitely bet against anyone just getting to that volume of starts. But the reason why I picked this actually was because this week uh, on Thursday, Roberto Longo was being uh, inducted into the Canucks Ring of Honor, and I really want to get one of those bobbleheads they're giving out to all the fans that are coming to the game. I, I don't think we're going to get those in the press box, but... Uh, I think we should make note that in the past, the team would have had those in the press box. Yeah, so hopefully that, that standard oh, is someone, maintained because I wouldn't mind one either. Someone might be listening. From 03 to 08, 72, 75, 76, 73 games played in those four seasons for Roberto Longo. Wow. I, I, I'm going to say we will definitely not be seeing that. No, uh, no. Although ever. I did have a young goalie, and I'll, I'll save his name because I don't want to put him on the spot, but I had a young goalie come into the league say that his goal was to play 82, that he believed it was possible. Keep dreaming. I don't kids, think teams will let them. Kids, yet. everyone have a dream. It's okay. Um, okay, one final question here. I do want to talk about the Devils with you because we have a lot of of questions, a lot of debate about this, right, in terms of their goals against struggles this year, how much of it is on playing style, how much of it is on personnel because they did change some key pieces on that blue line, and how much of it is the goaltending just not being as good as it was last year. And I think it's a really – interesting debate because I think there's a lot of nuance to it that probably isn't being captured in a lot of these conversations. You essentially just pick your side and then you argue that to the extreme and, and sort of you can curate the numbers. Like what I was saying with the abs, you, you can selectively pick, pinpoint whatever you want and then go with it that way and make a compelling argument. How do you feel about this in terms of how much of this is on Vanacek and Schmid? how much of it is on what's happening in front of them and how much of it might be sort of a philosophical thing in terms of the way the Devils might be playing and what they're giving up in front of them. Well, I mean, this is a tough one because I think it requires more nuance. Like, I've got the numbers in front of me, and I've seen them play. Um, well, the game you saw Vanacek play here was ugly. It was a tough game, but, like, then, like, like even some of the rebounds – that end up going to the back door for tap-ins, like the initial shots coming through layers of traffic and screens, like right. they're not as easy as they necessarily look. And, you know, once they get to the backside, it's an open. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that both ways. You're we, such a goalie. You I guy. Know, look at that. I oh, know. But these these like, shots, oh, there's layers. Come on, Kevin. Demko, Demko gave up the winner in the yeah. final, whatever, couple of minutes on a similar play. And nobody said, I mean, because he's the, you know, he's the, quarter pole Vesna guy, even even though the numbers have slipped of late, um, nobody says anything about it. Like, I just think sometimes the narrative can fuel our criticism of individual goals and moments. And I haven't seen enough of them defensively. I can tell you what the numbers say. Their penalty kill is atrocious, third worst in the league in terms of what they give up, the the most dangerous chances. And that can erode your confidence pretty quick. Overall, they're mid-pack. Off the rush, they're 23rd. That's a little problematic. I think there are nights, like we saw that, where – and this is the part that it's harder to sort, but there are nights where you just give away. And Brenda Moore talked about this when Carolina was in town while the team was busy having a closed-door meeting for 20 minutes. It wasn't quite 20, but we waited 20 to get in. Um, it's the freebies. It's the backdoor tap-ins. It's the giving away of goals. And if that happens frequently enough to a team and to a goaltender – it can really erode your confidence to trust everybody to do what they're supposed to do and be in your spot and take care of your job. And I've talked before about how that snowball can get rolling downhill. Um, But at the end of the day, like the numbers so far this season for the goaltenders, like they're tough. Like Vanacek's below expected, right? He's a guy that I always felt, you know, I've used this phrase before, like fantasy football. I wasn't sure how high the ceiling was, but I always felt like he had a really stable floor because he had a really good, solid technical game. He's not going to hurt you, right? But this year, um, was getting pummeled on the in, like on the inner slot shot stuff. He's like six seventy save percentage or something. Like pretty much, if you get a good look on him, and a lot of it is coming off of those secondary shots where he stops the first one, which might not have been as difficult. Although you might argue it was more challenging than it looks. But then he gives up the rebound, and then that second one's in the back of the net, and he's been getting hammered on those. Um, Statistically, where he's getting killed is the low danger stuff. Really? It's the bad goals. Uh, both him and Schmid. Uh, we talked about Georgiev. That's the one that surprised me about Georgiev. He's got eight already this year, which is one of the highest, might be the highest total in the league so far. Uh, Vanacek and Schmid are at six and five already. And so statistically, that's where they're getting killed on, uh, you know, at least 
by the clear sight numbers, and neither one of them, I mean, they're just a hair below expected. They're not at the bottom of the league by any stretch. They're just a little below expected, and I think there is some unpredictability in that environment. Um, you know, with Schmid, like you see the upside, you know it's there, but this is the rea- This is a new reality of the NHL. And Lindy Ruff, I had this conversation with him as part of his pregame availability about the fact that Schmid was here whereas normally he'd probably still be playing in the American Hockey League, racking up minutes and experience. The NHL is now a development league for goaltenders, and he's one of those guys that I think in a perfect world would still be playing every night. And so, you know, there's going to be inconsistency, but because of the package and because of the upside there, they're willing to sort of live through it at the NHL level. And, you know, even, you know, I'd have to go back and listen to it, but like, it really was almost like Lindy was saying, like he, you know, like this guy should be playing more. Mm. But I think there's a lot of goalies like that. So I can't, I don't judge him as harshly. Um, Vanacek's had a tough start. Like I said, like it's not bottom of the league, but it's below expected. And and they signed him to be a guy who could give them steady, just above expected goaltending. You don't need him to stop bullets in his teeth. That's that's not what he's ever really been asked to do. It's not who he is as a goaltender. But some of the foundational stuff, the the, you know, has he. Like I said, that shows up to me in the low danger goals hasn't been to the standard you would hope. And um, I, I'm just kind of curious to see where that goes for them and for him. Well, the reason why I think they're interesting is because the vol, like any volume stat is going to make it look like they're, there's no issues defensively because they're not giving up much zone time and they're not giving up a volume of rush chances against and dangerous stuff. But when they do give up these rush chances... It's the highest danger stuff. Becoming, it's kind of like that Oilers conversation we had earlier where, like, the difficulty of it is exceedingly high. Right. And also, I think the issue with expected goals as a stat is it's an accumulation stat. So, in a way, if your goalie's playing well, it's going to keep adding up because there's going to be more, like, rebounds and more, and more, like, second, third shots in a sequence that'll add up and and those expected goals totals of each of those individual shots is going to accumulate over time. Kind of like Christian Leitner, like, missing his put exactly. back so he can grab I mean, another rebound? It's very easy to, not stat pad, but it's very easy to bring that total up quickly. Whereas, it, interestingly enough here, I, I'm going to quick yeah. sidebar. Increasingly, amongst some of the elite goalie coaches and, and elite goalie minds that I get to talk to, one of the trends I'm hearing more and more is... That, that the good ones don't give up those, that everything is controlled. Right. I mean, obviously, there are certain that's, that's chances you just hope to stop. Right. But the, when they're evaluating goaltending, what they're looking for is one of their primary candidates for is this guy good, is not just does he stop pucks, does he control pucks, the sequence, yeah. does it die with him in terms of eating it and the next play is a face-off, does it go over the glass because he's controlling the low shots and steering it up over the glass, um, is he kicking it off the pads to a teammate that's open in the corner to start a breakout? Like there's an increasingly, increasingly, and that's something that, you know, it's interestingly enough, I have to have a conversation with Steve Valakek because I don't, they have rebound stats here, but I don't know they're, that they're measured and they're, they're good and bad rebounds and then results off of them, but I don't know that they measure control and that might be something they, sh- they look into because Increasingly, I'm hearing goalie coaches talk about that as an important element of their evaluation. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, I would love to know more about that. And, and, and you know, th- just to close the point I was trying to make there. Before you're so rudely interrupted. No, no, I, th- I think that was a really great addition because I think that's a really important distinction. But th- what I was trying to get at was if you give up a rust chance or even let's say you get into the zone and, and Vanacek gives up one of these bad goals you're saying where it's low percentage, it could be from the point or it could be whatever, and it just goes in. Like, we never got to see the sequence through, so it's almost impossible to judge how good the team is defensively in front of the goalie in a way because the first shot went in, right, or the second shot went in. And so in that sense, of course it's going to look like it was like you weren't giving up very many shots or chances against or expected goals against because the puck went into the net and the sequence ended so quickly. And similarly, you could say if the goalie is playing so well where they're just stopping it and just freezing it for a face-off. Right, we see it on the penalty kill a lot, right, where teams are getting seam passed all the time and all it takes is one chance and they they only give up one on the penalty kill, but it's like it's like a great – it's one that goes in 95% of the time and the team converts. Like we see those expected goals, like it goes through the roof, yeah. right? So – um, the fact that Devils are 30th on the PK yeah, and the fact that they're 23rd on the rush despite being 14th overall in terms of giving up those high danger, most dangerous chances, I think that lends at least some 
wait. I mean, we're ju- like the goalie numbers are include weighting that. We yes. weighted that in the goalie numbers, and they're still found to be a little below expected. But I think you know, to more to the beyond the numbers, those are the types of chances that can crush your numbers and they can crush your confidence a little bit. The the ones because they change how you might play it the next time because they typically involve laterals and they typically involve somebody on the other end of those laterals with time and space to dust it off and pick a spot. Well, and finally, they're ha- they have less offensive zone time themselves this year than last year, which is something they got really good at as a team, right? They went from just being a pure rush team to actually being able to grind out possessions. And, and so now... Numbers back that up. First in the NHL in terms of high danger created off the rush, down to 15th in the Ozone. Yeah, I've got them 15th in the Ozone time as well. And so all of a sudden... Just to bring it full circle, we started this with the Columbus conversation and the other extreme. In this sense, if you're not holding the puck in the offensive zone and it's coming right back, a lot of those are going to be high-danger rush chances, particularly high-danger ones, which are they are giving up, and I think that's been a problem for them. And so, in a way, we, we spend so much time being preoccupied and fixated on defensive zone structure and coverage, and you look at the six defensemen they have, is this good enough to win a Stanley Cup with? And in, in reality, I think for this team actually getting back to how they played offensively last year and getting better offensively in that way is going to generate better defensive results for them. And and it's almost, it's it's counterintuitive, but it also is intuitive if you just think logically about how the game's played. It's like the Oilers, right? Yeah. Everybody was talking about how they made changes to their defensive zone system. Well, they weren't getting killed in the defensive zone. They were getting killed off the rush. And yeah, they cha- made changes to their neutral zone system too. And maybe that was part of it. But the biggest thing was they were just taking chances offensively and creating giveaways offensively that were leading to odd man rushes the other way and goals that go in 95% of the time. And and that doesn't always it, – it did show up a little bit in my numbers, but you had to watch it to sort of yeah. see why it was happening because the, the reaction everyone jumped to was, oh, they changed the defensive system. That's why. It's like, no, actually the offensive players are turning pucks over in really bad spots and nobody's coming back. And that's how you end up being one of the worst rush teams against in the NHL. Kevin, I really want to talk about <clears throat> Benoit Lair with you and Rangers goaltending and everything, but we're out of time today. So that's a tease for next time I have you on. I'll, my answer is basically put him and his brother in the Hall of Fame and a whole bunch of goalie coaches. So if any Hall of Fame committee members are listening, send me your email and I'll send so you the send reasons us, why. Send us the Roberto Luongo bobbleheads and, and, and do that. Kevin, I'm going to let you go. This is a blast. Everyone go follow In Goal Magazine. Kevin is in goal on social media. Uh, thank you for coming on. Hopefully, the Discord community enjoyed our chat. Hopefully, everyone listening enjoyed this. No Dragon Ball Z references this time. I promise I'll, I'll spring two on you next time to make up for it on average. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for taking the time. Um, and we'll be back soon with plenty more of the Hockey PDO guest streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.